Well, who is Jesus and why did he come? There have been many different answers given to that question, those two questions, I should say, over the years. And just take a quick scan of Jesus as he's been presented by artists and filmmakers throughout history. And you'll see many, many versions of Jesus. Now, these Jesuses say a lot more about the culture and the values and the opinions of those who are depicting him than they do about Jesus himself. A kind of serene, otherworldly Jesus who doesn't look like he's ever missed a night's sleep or suffered anything. A white, western Jesus. A black Jesus. A Jesus who looks good on the big screen. Movie star Jesus. Then there are Jesus mythicists, as they're called. People who say that the idea of a real Jesus of history is a myth. And you should know that in the history departments of even the most secular universities, that that idea is laughed at. But then those same historians who would defend the idea of a real Jesus who really walked this earth, when they read the Gospels, and we've just read an account from one of the Gospels, these accounts of Jesus's life, when they read them and they come across the miracles of Jesus, which we've just read about, they stumble. They rule out the possibility of miracles from the word go. And so they conclude that the Jesus we read about in the Bible is, well, not a myth, but part myth. And then there are the everyday ideas about Jesus that people hold. A gentle Jesus or a judgmental Jesus. A good man or a liar. Or maybe just an irrelevant character from some Sunday school lesson you heard years ago or a school assembly. I think it's fair to say that all these pictures of Jesus are fractured. They're only part of the story. People take a part of the true Jesus, the true story of Jesus, and they exaggerate it, or under-exaggerate it, or twist it. And what we're left with, well, it's not the full picture that we get in the Bible. We want the Jesus to suit my politics, my lifestyle, my ideas. I wonder who you think Jesus is and why you think he came. You might think that they are pretty irrelevant questions. And you also might think it's none of my business what you think about who Jesus is. But I want to say this morning that what you think about who Jesus is and why he came, well, that's one of the most important things about you. Almost the most important thing about you, but we'll come to that later. This morning, we're going to look at how the, the Bible answers the two questions that were up on the screen just a moment ago. Why did Jesus come? Uh, who is Jesus and why did he come? And we'll be looking at some passages from Matthew's gospel, not just the one that we read out, and I wonder, will your answers to these two questions change throughout the course of this morning? Your ideas of who Jesus is and why 
he came. And if not, hopefully you'll at least see why what you think of who Jesus is is vitally important. So let's ask this first question. Jesus, who do you think he is? Now, up to the point in Matthew's gospel where we read this morning, uh, Jesus has been doing and saying some amazing things, and we, we read that. But after preaching one of the most famous sermons in the world, the Sermon on the Mount, we read that Jesus then went about doing miraculous deeds, healing paralyzed people, giving sight to blind people, even raising dead people. He showed that he had power and authority over nature as well when he rescued his fishermen disciples from a great storm. Our first question is, who do you think Jesus is? And to answer this, we need to look at these deeds of Jesus as well as what he says. And there's a really strong connection between the two, between what he says and what he does. We get a summary of all that Jesus was doing and saying in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and it's going to come up on the screen for you. Let's read it. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So that's what he was saying. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. What he was doing. And this Summary is repeated by Matthew later as well, almost word for word. Matthew wants us to see that this is the kind of thing that Jesus was doing and saying, and that the message of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus are connected. They shed light on one another. Let's look at some of those words there. The gospel of the kingdom. That was his message. Now, gospel... That's easy enough. Gospel just means good news. But kingdom is a little bit trickier. It's talking about God's kingdom. And it's better for us maybe not to think so much of a place, but the activity of God's. Where do kings live? They live in their kingdoms. But a much more important question is, what do kings do? They rule over their kingdoms. So Jesus is preaching good news about the coming kingdom of God, the rule of God on earth. And then Matthew goes on to record what is essentially what Jesus was preaching. Jesus preaches this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It has come. It's come along with me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have the power and the authority to bring God's kingdom, his rule, to earth. So we're building up a picture here of who Jesus is. It's very easy to say something like that, but not quite as easy to prove it. So back to the miracles. How were they connected to his message? They weren't a series of spectacular magic tricks designed to draw a crowd at some child's birthday party. The miracles were signs. They were pictures, if you like, 
of what it looked like for God's kingdom to come crashing in to earth. God's kingdom has always been a reality, but it's not always visible to us. When Jesus performed these miracles, it became patently obvious that God was at work and making it obvious. The miracles were little pictures of salvation. God's salvation, saving people from blindness, saving people from sickness, even death. And so to add to what we've said, the miracles teach us that the kingdom of God is about God's saving rule on earth. It's good news that God reigns because he's a good king, a saving king. It's not always good news when rulers rule. It's bad news for the citizens of Afghanistan today that the Taliban rule. But imagine a ruler who ruled for the good of his people. And yes, you have to imagine that, don't you? To, to save them from evil, not to inflict it on them. And not even the best king or ruler on our earth does that perfectly. But God's kingdom, no, he's a good king. And his kingdom is about salvation breaking into a world that desperately needs saving. So the miracles are little pictures of this great big salvation that God intends for the world. My wife and I are big MasterChef fans. Recently, we got the experience a six-course tasting menu in a restaurant. And I, I can promise you that that is not the lifestyle that we live. It's about as close as we'll ever get to tasting MasterChef quality foods. The tasting menus give you lots of little dishes that show off the chef's skill, not just in how the food looks, but more importantly, in how it tastes. And it's so much better than watching MasterChef because you get to taste it. Food that you could never prepare or eat in your own kitchen. But of course, after almost every dish, we inevitably said, well, I did anyway, that was amazing. I'd love a full bowl of that, a big bowl, a dessert that's three times the size of that place. So it's a, it was an amazing experience, a real experience. You could really taste the food, but it left you wanting more, a full feast. And in a sense, that's what I mean when I say the miracles of Jesus were like pictures of the reality of God's salvation. They were a real experience. Blind people could all of a sudden see again. People who really were lame could walk. But they were just a taste of what was coming. A salvation from everything that is wrong in the world. And so these miracles are, are like trailers to the premiere event, the real movie. And so that brings us back to our question, who is Jesus? Well, the first answer to that question, according to Matthew here, is that Jesus is God's savior. He's God's savior. He came showing that he had the power and the ability to save and like I said, our world needs saving. The past year and a half, I've shown that, 
shown us that, if, if it's shown us nothing else, even with all of our amazing advances in medicine and technology, and thank God for them, despite all that, we cannot stave off death and suffering. And we never will be able to, no matter how great our advances in these things are. They can't save us. We need to be rescued. We need a Jesus who is a savior. Now, let's move on a bit. Let's add something more here. You might be wondering why Jesus only gave a preview. If he had that power, why on earth did he only save some blind people and walk past probably thousands of others? Why wait? Well, the next answer to who Jesus is very much answers that question. The miracles reveal that Jesus has power to save, yes, to save people from the worst conditions, but they point to something even more amazing about who Jesus is. So consider this miracle from Matthew 9, and it will come up on the wall again. Matthew 9, chapter 2, And behold, some people brought to him, that's Jesus, a paralytic, a paralyzed man, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's strange. The obvious need of the man in front of him was to be healed of his paralysis. That's what he needed and wanted. But Jesus announces first, your sins are forgiven. Perhaps this morning you aren't familiar with what that word sin means. As a good Jew, Jesus would have understood it to mean our offenses against God. And according to the Bible that Jesus read and the New Testament that we have, that's exactly our problem. All have sinned, says the Apostle Paul, and fall short of the glory of God. And so everyone needs what Jesus gave this man forgiveness. And for Jesus, that's the most pressing problem. But who is Jesus to forgive this man on behalf of God? And that's exactly what the religious leaders were thinking. And they were mumbling to themselves, this is blasphemy. Who is this man to forgive? Only God can do that. But then Jesus turns to them and his words will come up here. That you may know that the Son of Man, and that's Jesus' way of speaking about himself, that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And if you read on, that's exactly what the man did. Another healing miracle. And so this story is another way of saying that Jesus, through his words, forgiving a man of his sins, he was claiming to be able to do what only God can do. But not only that, through his deeds, he showed that he can do what only God can do. Easy to say you're forgiven. Not so easy to heal a man just by a word. He was claiming and proving himself to be none other than God himself. So who is Jesus? He is Savior and he is God. There's no other explanation for his words and deeds. And the religious leaders understood 
exactly that this is what Jesus was claiming. They understood it so clearly that they would soon have him put to death for claiming these things. They knew that what he was claiming was blasphemy if it wasn't true. So, who is Jesus? Jesus is both God and Savior. But the second question is, why do you think he came? Why do you think he came? And uh, we've already answered that, haven't we? I mean, Jesus came to reveal God's power to save the world from everything that's gone wrong. Did that through his miracles. He, he came to show that through these miraculous signs, God intends to do just that one day. A world without COVID or cancer. A world without the need for foster parents or social workers or doctors or prison wardens or divorce solicitors. A world where none of those jobs are needed because none of these problems will exist. But again, we want to ask, why wait? If you have the power to do these things, Jesus, why wait? Why not bring that world crashing in now? We need that salvation now. But the answer to that question lies in Jesus' encounter with that paralyzed man. He taught us that before he would rid the world of the effects of sin, death, sickness, suffering, he would first need to save us from our sin. That's why he came, to save us from our sin. And as Savior and God, he can do that. Sin is not just out there somewhere and nothing to do with me. It's a problem with our own hearts, every one of us. And it must be dealt with either through God's salvation or through his judgment. I said earlier that Jesus's message was summarized by Matthew like this. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. But actually, I dropped the first word out. It actually reads like this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. To repent means to turn away from your sin and to turn to God through faith in Jesus. Just like the paralyzed man and his friends did. They had faith in Jesus and Jesus forgave. And if you trust him, he will forgive you as well. He will forgive you because of who he is and because of why he came to save as God. And I wonder this morning, can you say with all certainty that he is your savior and your God? <clears throat> now, through looking at these verses uh, at Matthew's gospel, I've shown how Matthew answers those two questions. Who do you think Jesus is and why do you think he came? But you might be wondering why we read out that passage about this guy called John in prison asking Jesus this question. Uh, and you might be worried about the clock. Goodness, he's just getting going and he hasn't even come to his passage yet. But don't worry, we're actually approaching the end. In part, 
I read it out because it gives us a summary of some of the things that Jesus did. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and so on. But I read it for another reason as well. John, John the Baptist is his full title. His job was to announce to people that Jesus was the Savior, that God's prophets promised the Jewish people would come. And John ends up in prison because he's very much majoring on this message of the need to repent. And he, he's so fearless and courageous that he tells the king that he needs to repent. Not a wise move, you would think. And he ends up in prison for saying that. And you might be surprised that John, this amazing, courageous, bold prophet, as he languishes in prison, doubts Jesus. He has doubts about Jesus. He wonders, as we read, are you the one who is to come? Are you the savior? Or shall we look for another one? So he sends some of his disciples to ask that question. And in verses four and five, Jesus gives a summary of everything that he's done. Let's read it together. John, or sorry, Matthew 11, verse four. And Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Now, we don't have time this morning as interesting as it would be to consider the reasons why John might have been doubting Jesus. But what I want you to notice is what Jesus does and how he answers him. He answers John's doubts by pointing him to the evidence of what John knows Jesus has been doing and saying. All of these things, John, point to the fact that I am the Savior. I am the Christ. You were right. Hang in there. Even though things don't look like they're going so well for you now, you were right. And then he gives a gentle rebuke to John in verse 6. He says this, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. To be blessed is not necessarily the modern use of the word it's to be accepted by God blessed people are people who belong in God's kingdom they're the ones who have trusted in Jesus and so have the blessing of forgiveness and salvation they're the ones who have been forgiven of their sins and so Jesus is kind of asking in an indirect way do you trust me John or are you offended by me are you literally are you tripped up by me? Are you stumbling over something that I have done or said that isn't quite the picture that you had of me? The Gospels answer the questions, who is Jesus and why did he come? But they always force us to ask another question, just as important. What are you going to do about it? Who do you think Jesus is? Why do you think he came? What will you do with him? That might be the most important thing about you. What will you do with Jesus? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to trip up over him? 
That's why I asked the questions the way I did. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think, why do you think he came? So let me close off this morning by asking a third question about Jesus. And this is one that I'd like you to take home with you and mull over. What will you do with Jesus? We all have deal breakers in life, whether it's what we'll put up with in work or relationships uh, or who we'll put up with in work and relationships. Some of us have very low bars. Some of us are more tolerant and have high bars, but we all have red lines that we won't have crossed. And I wonder if you have any red lines when it comes to Jesus, things that are causing you to be tripped up over him and you're interested in Jesus and you're interested in what you've heard this morning, but you just, you can't cross that line of trust because there's that thing that's just getting in the way. Maybe you're tempted like the skeptics that I mentioned way back at the start of this morning. Uh, skeptics who won't believe in miracles. And so when they come to read about them, they don't believe in them. But of course, if Jesus is the personal God who is breaking into the world to save, miracles are exactly what we should expect. But maybe then you don't think you need saving that sin isn't really a big problem or at least not for you and that's not really a modern idea many many people who saw Jesus's deeds firsthand and heard his teaching they rejected him and they didn't repent of their sins and we read later on in chapter 11 verse 20 that Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So Jesus' verdict is this. When God brings his great day of salvation to those who do believe, verse 23 in chapter 11, you who don't believe will be brought down to Hades. Hell. Those who do not come to the Savior, who stumble over him, will be cast out of his kingdom forever. Sin really is a big problem, according to Jesus. Or maybe, finally, you don't think that you can be saved. You want to be saved. You're very much interested in what you've heard about Jesus this morning. But either you think your sins are too great or the niggling doubts that you have, you feel that they're a barrier to coming to him. And if that's the case, I'd love to talk to you about those doubts. I couldn't possibly have the time in one sermon to talk about everything that people struggle with when it comes to Jesus. But please come and talk to me or someone else in the church if you have those doubts. But for now, let me point you to what Jesus does with John. He points him to the evidence. He says, look at what I've been doing. Look at what I've been saying. And then Jesus goes on to say some of the most gracious and comforting words 
in the whole Bible. Matthew eleven, twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're burdened by your sin this morning, come to Jesus. If you're weighed down by doubts, even if you're a believer this morning and you're weighed down by doubts like John was or or Thomas, who we read about earlier, come to him and find rest and forgiveness and acceptance. Entrance into God's kingdom. If you're weighed down by suffering, if life has dealt you a hard blow this morning, Come to Jesus, enter his kingdom and know that that great and final salvation, which will eradicate all those problems, will be yours. But without faith in Jesus, your sin remains. And so you will remain part of the problem that God is determined to get rid of. The benefits of coming to Jesus are immense, but the cost of not coming to him is also immense. Who do you think he is? Why do you think he came? But even more importantly, what will you do with him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, How could we know anything about your amazing son, the Lord Jesus, without it? Thank you for the few moments we've had this morning to read it and to think about it. And I pray that you really would challenge our hearts and help us to be serious about Jesus, to be serious about our sins, and to really examine ourselves and ask, what will I do with this Jesus? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to